We read this morning from Psalm 19. And my Seventh-day Adventist friend once sent me a letter in which he quoted Psalm 19, verse 7, that the law of the Lord is perfect. And he then asked me, what possible reason could there be for changing the law? It's perfect. And he underlined, it's perfect, and he put 14 exclamation points after it. <laughs> I copied it and pasted it here, and I counted them, and they are 14. <laughs> I guess that's uh, double the number of perfection, perhaps. <clears throat> Today I want to try to answer that question. And the place I'd like to start is the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, uh, beginning with verse 1. Hebrews, chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth to the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. So now we know the answer. There has been a change of priests. And this is why there has to also be a change of the law. But notice the author of Hebrews is not finished at this point. He makes clear that the change he is speaking of in the law is not a minor adjustment of the Mosaic Code. 
Let's begin at verse 13, where we stopped. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life, for he testifies, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Notice there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. And yet, the law was itself perfect. Very, very important distinction to always keep in mind. Just as the psalmist said, the law is perfect. But the law made nothing perfect. Now, my Seventh-day Adventist friend makes much of the fact that the Ten Commandments were written in stone. And by this he intends to underscore the permanency of those commandments. But the Word of God does not draw that conclusion. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll begin reading with verse 7, reading from the ESV. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Now, I want you to notice the contrast in this passage of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 3.3, Paul says, Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And the contrast in this passage of Scripture is between the Old Covenant tablets of stone and the ministry of those tablets of stone and the New Covenant that is written on the heart and its ministry. 
And there are three contrasts in this passage we've just read. First of all, the ministry of death is contrasted with the ministry of the Spirit. And second, the ministry of condemnation is contrasted with the ministry of righteousness. And third, what was being brought to an end is contrasted with what is permanent. The old covenant tablets of stone were a ministry of death. They were a ministry of condemnation. They were being brought to an end. The new covenant written on the heart was the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, and it was what is permanent. And this recalls another passage of Scripture, turning back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, beginning with verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them any more. You remember that's what happened at the base of the mountain when the law was given. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches that mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We need to ask ourselves, are we still living under the old covenant? Or have we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant? Are we serving under Moses and the tablets of stone which minister death and condemnation? Or are we serving under Jesus and the new covenant which ministers the spirit and righteousness? Are we serving under that which has been abolished or under that which is permanent? Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. You remember the situation where Sarah and Abraham got impatient? The promise had been given, but they wanted to go ahead and see it fulfilled through the flesh. And so the slave woman was given to Abraham, and Abraham begot a son through the slave woman. But that son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. God's promise was fulfilled. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. 
One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And remember the passage that Dr. High read this morning when the Apostle Peter wanted to build three tabernacles on top of the Mount of Transfiguration, one in honor of Moses, the great lawgiver of the Old Covenant, one in honor of Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Covenant, and one in honor of Christ. He was silenced by a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Are we hearing Christ, the Son of God? Or are we still listening to Moses as our leader? And then back again to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son, over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end? We are not part of the house of Moses, but part of the house of Christ, and Christ is our lawgiver, not Moses. Peter understood this. He turned to Acts chapter 3 after Peter had uh, healed the lame man. He said in verse 13, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as did also your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, 
he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Christ is our prophet, not Moses. Does this mean that New Testament believers have no law? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse, let's just back up to verse 19. Now we know, Romans chapter 3 verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now what does Paul mean when he says we establish the law? Faith in the one who met the just demands of the law by his death under the law's penalty upholds the law's requirements as just. Remember we said earlier that the law is perfect, but that does not, it does not produce perfection. Rather, it produces condemnation. Upholding the law's requirements as just is not the same thing as upholding the abiding jurisdiction of the Mosaic law system. But the righteous precepts of God's law transcend both covenants because the God who spoke through Moses is the same God who has spoken to us by his Son. 
Remember the opening words of the book of Hebrews. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. There is no incongruity, there is no contradiction between the God of the Old Covenant and the God of the New Covenant. There are many things in the Old Covenant which have passed away, which are types and shadows of the fulfillment in the New Covenant, but there is no incongruity. And God's righteousness, His righteous precepts, are the same. But under the New Covenant, these precepts are written in the heart of all believers. Hebrews 10, verse 16 I'll tell you what, let's turn to Hebrews. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And this is the great principle of the new covenant I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them in Isaiah chapter 42 verse 21 Isaiah speaking of Messiah says the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious the Spirit that our Lord sent to be our comforter after His departure produces practical righteousness in those who walk in Him. Look at the book of Galatians chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We are not under the jurisdiction of the tablets of stone. Rather, our great lawgiver is Christ, who has given us his Spirit to abide with us forever. 
and produce, even in his redeemed but fallen creatures, a practical outworking of his righteousness. But the contrast between what is produced by the tablets of stone and what is produced by the Spirit is a great contrast. The Apostle John spoke of it in this manner. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And a whole lot is encapsulated in those words, grace and truth. We come now to our Lord's table to remember what he accomplished when he took our place on the cross. The one who met all the righteous requirements of the law died under the penalty of the law in order that those who had violated the law and truly deserved its awful penalty might have life and have it abundantly.